Hello and welcome to Fraggle Talk Classic, the unofficial Fraggle Rock podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. My name is Beth and I am rewatching for the millionth time. My name is Julia and I'm rewatching for the first time in 10 years. My name is Adam and I had my little cousin write the notes for the intro here, so I'm rewatching for the first time Yvonne. <laughs> wow. How old's your cousin? I, I, he doesn't really exist. <laughs> I made him up for the bit. I was like, what a what a nice little He's twist. as old as I want him course, to be. <laughs> that tracks, I think, he, for previous episodes. Uh, currently, about 12 seconds. There you go. That's how long the bit is going on. Just keep creating fictional characters to introduce on this podcast. No one can stop me. <laughs> and today we are talking about episode 15 of season one called I Don't Care. Which, wow, it's a lot going on in this episode and also just a lot going on visually. Yeah. So, okay, the original air date was April 18th, 1983. Uh, this episode was written by Carol Bolt and directed by Stephen Katz. Uh, those were both names that were new to me, so I'm happy to learn some more about who helped bring the show to life. Awesome. But boy, howdy, you're not kidding. There's a lot to this episode. Mm-hmm. Can we also just... Can I just... So, we start off with Doc excitedly saying that he has made a contraption so that Sprocket will not have to fetch the paper at 4 p.m., which we could have a whole discussion about how sweet it is that Sprocket genuinely likes going and getting the paper at 4 p.m. and is clearly disappointed. But also, the thing that Doc's made is an abomination yeah. in the eyes of God. <laughs> yeah. A oh, boy. He calls it the Rocket Sprocket. Doc has made an electronic dog. Well, doesn't he say it's a steam-driven dog? Yeah, he says... Powered by uh, clockwork and electricity and steam. I'm like, oh, dude, yeah. that, you, that's, two out of three tops. That's a lot of things. You don't need all three of those. Mm -hmm. He's got to cover all of the bases as a tinkerer, I suppose. Um, it's also really weird that he gets his newspaper at 4 p.m. Like, I I thought at first I was like, did I miss something? Is it 4 a.m.? But it's it's not. That's a late time to get a newspaper, which I was like, is he just on a weird time receiving schedule for his paper or does he just let it sit out there and sprocket just goes and get it gets it at four those, those are just small things that popped out to me but um yeah that seemed a little strange all fair questions i had not spotted that detail it's it's a bummer because sprocket genuinely enjoys going to get the paper and you can tell that just from his body language that he's super excited when he hears the clock and he's gonna go and then doc springs this on him and sprocket's not having it mm-hmm which, again, there's a lot to be said about, like, oh, Doc, you're really not picking up on your little furry friend's cues. But there's also a lot to be said about, Doc, what have you done? <laughs> what have you created? What dark, nightmarish corner of your brain did you find this schematic in? And what godforsaken impulse led you to bring it into existence? It's funny, because honestly, like, the, the impulse of, oh, I'm going to build this thing to make my friend's life a little easier... Coming from Doc, this one feels, while he should pick up on Sprocket's cues better, definitely, it does feel nicer than previous episodes when yeah. instead of like, oh, I'm not going to feed you till you do this thing for me or other Doc moments we've seen. This one feels like he's trying to do something nice for Sprocket, but he just doesn't take a second to be like, oh, do you, is this something you'd want, Sprocket? Do you like getting the paper? So that's, a, a I guess, a point in the positive for Doc, but I do agree that his contraption looks wild and a little terrifying and 
works so fast. Yeah, it fetches the paper in three seconds. I guess props to Doc, because he did create what seems to be an operating robot, which is a pretty competent thing to do for him. (laughs) On a very technical level, I'm so curious as to how it turns around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't look like it has a lot of... I don't see hinges on them wheels. Of course, we also find out later that it can fill in a crossword puzzle, so... Oh, I forgot about that. That's terrifying. Yeah, it is. And the question is, is the robot dog sentient and filled it in correctly? Or is it just robotic enough to know that you're supposed to fill in a crossword puzzle with letters and it just does it randomly? With ink. Yeah. That's fair. I just know that at one point it opened its mouth and I had a full flashback to the episode of Neon Genesis Evangelion where Ava Unit 1 opens its mouth for the first time. And that like just shuddering horror of like oh that's not supposed to be there and it's very organic and visceral and those are teeth swept through my spine it's like when you see a photo of the inside of a goose's mouth oh or the inside of a turtle's mouth oh i don't even know what the inside of a turtle's mouth looks like but geese's geese imagine a sarlacc pit but longer oh no weird both weird anyways (laughs) enough about god's biggest mistake (laughs) Uh, let's talk about Wembley and Boober. Oh, our good boys. Good, good boys. Uh, Boober's got a lucky bottle cap that the trash sheep gave him, and it keeps him safe, and he has so much faith that he can do anything dangerous, and Wembley dares him to go to outer space. And then tries to stop him. Immediately. <laughs> which is, I feel like, actually very thematically appropriate. Mm-hmm. The idea that you're, like, messing around with your friends, and then as soon as the stakes become real, stuff changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for Boober, too. Like, he was like, oh, yeah, I can do this totally arbitrary thing. I can do this other thing. But as soon as you dare me to do something that's right here in front of me, ooh, I'm going to need to psych myself up a little bit for that. Mm -hmm. Which he does by saying the magic words on the bottle cap, no deposit, no return. Yeah. As if he's, like, saluting a flag, and it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. The reverence. I don't know how you deliver that line with a straight face, but it was a beautiful delivery. Um, two episodes ago, we saw Marjorie give uh, a love potion to Wimbley. And I remember I asked you, Beth, like, are we going to see Marjorie give out? I think mm-hmm. I asked specifically about magic items, yep. which I suppose this is a quote unquote magic item because it is supposed to be a lucky bottle cap. Right. And we've also talked before in previous episodes about the number of lucky items we see Boober have. And, you know, we see him with two different lucky items in this episode. Yep. Also, the trash heap has like specifically told him, like, oh, you can't do that without a hat. But if you put a hat on, you can totally do that. So I feel like the trash heap just like has like one of her main markets is just Dumbo magic feathers. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, this yeah. is definitely another magic feather. Mm-hmm. Handing these magic feathers out like candy. Solves, you know, she just tells them, yeah, this is definitely a lucky item. And then it usually solves their problems. Um, maybe not so much in this episode. It actually causes a number of issues. Yeah. Well, no, I don't think the blanket causes the issues. I think his friends being kind of cruddy caused the issues. Yeah, I just meant the issues kind of surrounding the inciting incident of him getting a blanket. Mm. Yeah, okay. That I can I can get behind. So yeah, Wembley specifically is trying to stop Boober, not just because outer space is scary in general, but because he says there are monsters out there. Like, yeah, right now, that rocket sprocket is very much a monster. True facts. Yeah, that is, that is for once, like, uh, no words. Many words, actually, just not right now. 
There were a couple cuts back and forth between Doc and the Fraggles that I really liked where... Yeah. See, Doc says, um, three seconds, Sprocket, that's a new record. And it cuts back and Wimbley's saying, I think you'll last about three seconds out there, Boober. Mm -hmm. And it happens again where Wimbley's listing all the awful things that are going to happen to Boober. And he mentions being mangled and chewed up. And it cuts back to Doc and he's like, oh, the newspaper's all mangled and chewed up, Sprocket, from the robot. Yeah. And I thought that was just some clever, like, intercutting between the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, it's cute. It's clever. So, Boober and Wembley wrestle. Lucky Bottle Cap falls down to the bottom of the bottomless chasm. Which, who put a bottomless chasm there? It's just right there on the way to outer space. Where are the guardrails? They're just bottomless chasms all over Fraggle Rock? I don't think Fraggle Rock has an OSHA. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, like, little doozer going around being like, we gotta, we gotta take care of this. I would love that. That'd make me so happy. OSHA doozer. OSHA doozer. If the doozers did build guardrails, the fraggles would just eat them. That's true. The, uh, look, we know, we don't know that they can't build stuff out of... They built a catapult that wasn't edible. There you go. Good. So we need catapult railings. Just t- repurpose that material. Yep. Anyways, so Boober's mad. His lucky bottle cap is gone. And I believe he starts singing as he's walking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this blues song is real good. It's real good. The guitar work is really nice, and also just, like, what a lovely depiction of the local fauna. Yeah. Yeah. The whole time, you get a lot, you get so many different background creatures singing along with him. It's a lot of creatures we also haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, I'm familiar with the little fluffy, grungy ones. There's, like, these weird, kind of chonky-looking gargoyles. Yeah! With these tiny little wings who are also backup singers. I love them so much, and in my heart of hearts, I know they eat the fluffy things, and they just sort of sit there, <laughs> camouflage as rocks until the fluffy things come closer, and then chomp them up. So yeah, we've got, uh, let's see, one kind of fluffy thing that's like if Fizzgig from the Dark Crystal was like styled to have like tufts of hair with a little ball at the end of each tuft, mm-hmm. and then we get these little little fuzzy guys popping out of tubes looking like you know deep sea coral dwelling creatures Mm -hmm. and then we get my favorite the the fuzzy green aardvarks with rodent teeth and bat wings and sloth feet (laughs) that apparently can sing along so they're at least semi-sentient they're just chilling and then also at one point he walks up and then a rock in the foreground just pops up with eyes and starts singing and he closes it like a like a unruly clam (laughs) yes we will definitely see more of those rock clams as background Excellent. singers. They brought me a great deal of joy. Yeah. And same with these uh, red tufted birds. They are definitely common background singers. Yes. There's also, I just want to cite one of my favorite lines from this song. People say they're happy, but people are wrong. <laughs> I knew you were going to mark that. What a great line. It's so good. Let's say more. Why Why is it such a great line? Oh, uh, oh God. Okay. Hold on. Let me pivot into songwriter brain. Um. <laughs> So this song about like him just sort of complaining about existence, uh, he's it's literally just kind of grumpy blues expression. And then you have this one line where it's very clear that it's not just like, I'm angry now. He's like, no, this is the world. Mm. This is it. And not only is it, this is how everything is. People think that they're not like this and they're wrong. Like it's such a wide sweeping way to just capture how Boober sees the world in like eight words. I mean, my takeaway from this song was, oh, this is how I feel when my depression is flaring up. So absolutely. 
Oh, see, I don't get the whole everyone is miserable. I don't get people say they're happy, but they're wrong. I get, ah, everyone else is happy, but I don't have enough morality or goodness of heart to be joyful. Ah. I, I can get a bit of both depending on the day and the mood. Hmm. Just kind of an overall negative outlook on the entire world. Oh, yeah. And then you eat some protein and suddenly the world gets brighter. Mm. Weird, huh? Hey, hey, listeners, eat protein. You'll feel better. Drink some water also. And also, if you can't make your own neurotransmitters, store-bought is fine. Store-bought is fine. Take your meds. Take your meds. Drink some water. Take your meds. Eat protein. Anyways, this has been <laughs> all of our mental health corner. Yay. They make it to the trash heap. Does somebody want to talk about the opening to the trash heap? I've been talking too much already. Well, Philo and Gunge are showing off like the latest trash that has shown up for Marjorie, including a... I think they said a well-worn banana peel <laughs> and a lampshade and a blanket, which still begs the question of whose trash is ending up. Is it the Gorgs? Is it somehow coming from the outside outer space human world? Uh, whose who's lampshade is this? It's a small lampshade. Marjorie wears it like a hat and it's delightful, but I don't know if it would be like a Gorgs lampshade. A lot of questions about Marjorie and her existence and where all of her compost comes from. Oh, yeah. I just love how supportive she puts it on and she's like, is it me, boys? And they're like, oh, it's you. And I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she looks great in a lampshade. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, it is a very extra lampshade that looks like it could easily be a hat anyway. Yeah. It fits her head really nicely. But yeah, they, they get a blanket for in the pile of like new trash. And Marjorie says that it's, what, too new to be trash? It's not, yeah. I guess it's not up to standards of her trash pile and she doesn't want it and they're like well who are we gonna give it to and then cue boober doo, 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 doo. which makes me wonder like if she just these items that she doesn't want when a fraggle shows up she's like oh yeah this is this is a lucky magic item here you go take it it'll make all your problems go away as a way to repurpose parts of her trash that she doesn't want Man, I wish I could do that with student loans. <laughs> mm, oh. She'd be like, hey, buddy, you want this lucky debt? It's super lucky. <laughs> that would be nice. <sighs> oh, now I'm, now I'm sad. <laughs> I added that to our to our Fraggle Talk bingo. Is hashtag bitter millennials complaining about capitalism. Oh, that's yep, like every yep, other episode for yep. us. <laughs> that's, no, that, yeah. Um, so she decides to give him this blanket and she's like, oh, my God, it's so lucky. Uh, and she says three specific things mm -hmm. that like the person who did this, he inherited an ice cream factory. And then the second one, and then she's like, she met Andy met the president and Boober goes, president of what? Yep. And none of them know how to respond. And it was kind of cool because it really does feel like she knows about like human politics. And she's just like, I don't, how do I explain that significant? I can't continue on with the sales spiel. <laughs> uh, yeah. The other thing that happened to the last person to own this blanket was he found a pony. There it is. Ice cream factory, pony, and meeting the president. I'd like to do two out of three of those things. I mean, yeah, same. I don't really want a pony. I want a pony. <laughs> Owning an ice cream factory seems like too much responsibility. Fair. But then you could make an ice cream factory workers union and bequeath it to them so that they could own the means of ice cream production. The first cooperative ice cream factory. I thought it has to exist, right? There has to be one of those already. You would think. Not not at this late in the afternoon, I wouldn't think. It hurts too much. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> no thoughts, only vibes. <laughs> uh, so he takes this blanket. He's super excited. And he immediately goes to the play that they're setting up. 
Well, and on the way to the play, he sings the song again. Is mm-hmm. is the song verbatim from what he sang earlier? He's just singing it with a much happier tone. Yeah, it's like the same depressing lyrics, but with a, a much upbeat, happy uh, vibe to it. Yeah, <laughs> depression, but faster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to to be fair, this blanket is adorable, and I would love to make a recreation of it someday. Mm-hmm. It's a very cute blanket. Yeah, yeah. It's so like the appropriately fragile-sized blanket. So I wonder if maybe mm-hmm. if it had belonged with radishes on it. Yes. So I wonder if it if it is mm-hmm. if Marjorie is a compilation of like the gorge garbage. Maybe it's actually like a handkerchief originally, but it just oh there you go fits size-wise with the fraggles as a blanket. But yes, he he then goes to Moki's play that she's putting on. And she is wearing this slouchy green hat and living her best middle school theater teacher life. Yeah, she's really in her element just <laughs> telling folks what to do. <laughs> hey, look, don't be, look, based on how she acts, I just want to say like 30% of the middle school teachers that I've met deserve some defensive reaction from me about this. <laughs> I say that with all the love in the world. I loved my middle school theater teacher. Yeah, but Moki's so bad in this. Yeah. Loki's so... Also, can we just say, Red has a great line where she's like, who needs a prince? I can rescue me! And like, yeah, Red walked so Jonathan Colton could run. Heck yeah. Jonathan Colton did the song about the princess who rescued herself. Oh, that's right! There's a whole picture book about it, too. Oh. I didn't know it was a picture book. That's awesome. Yeah, he did He did. A, there's a book about it. It's nice. Good. I've read it to children. Anyways. But yeah, in, in classic fashion, Moki is, you know telling people what to do without actually considering what they want. Red is being overly enthusiastic and Wembley is trying to help. And I love that that comes up twice in the episode that that Red and Wembley end up damaging something important to Boober because Red is being overly enthusiastic and not really caring about the thing that's important to Boober. Mm -hmm. And Wembley is trying to help and accidentally making it worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've had relationships like that. <laughs> um, I just also, I wrote uh, a no punctuation rant after Moki's like, oh yeah, perfect. I'll use this blanket for the thing. And Boober specifically says, no, no, don't do that. And Moki just kind of walks off with it. Mm-hmm. Moki, I swear to God, if you don't stop imposing your narrative onto everyone else's without a wit or dibble of attention to what they are actually saying with their real actual mouths, I am going to start imposing the narrative that you are, in fact, a remarkably articulate llama and refuse to consider any other possibility. (laughs) Hey. Uh, (laughs) Why not? That's good. Just look, I have a lot of empathy for misunderstandings. I have a lot of empathy. I am autistic. I misread social cues on a semi-frequent basis at this point. Like, it happens. I get it. If you say, oh, we're going to do this, and someone says, no, stop. Well, it's yeah. it's just especially frustrating because, what, was it two episodes ago we watched We Love You, Wembley, mm-hmm. where she imposed, oh, Wembley, you must have this crush, even though, at least at the start, Wembley's like, I don't, and she refused to listen to him. So we've seen this from Moki a number of times. And obviously mm-hmm. this is, you know, we have four seasons left. We're hopefully going to see growth in this department from Moki. <laughs> yeah. But still, like the only thing I wrote for this was, Moki, why don't you listen to anyone besides yourself? So, you know, it's it's frustrating, although I, I suppose it's, you know, it's supposed to be frustrating. But yeah, just watching her be told, no, this isn't the thing that I want. And still she proceeds as if she can't hear them. Yeah, that is... 
absolutely frustrating. Um, I also want to point out just a cool detail. Wembley's like, I just finished painting the trellis. And then Red falls on the trellis and gets paint on the blanket that she's wearing. When they cut back to the trellis, there's less paint on it. Oh. Oh, I had not noticed that. Because the paint came off on the blanket. You can see there's like a, a, a very clear line where like, oh, this is where someone fell and the paint came off of this trellis. It's such a tiny little detail, but it's so perfect. No seams in the world building. Grounded in reality. That's great. I love that. It makes me wonder if that's actually how they did it. Like if they painted the trellis with wet paint and then plopped it onto the blanket and that's how they just did it. I Maybe. Rather than going through the rigmarole of having a fully painted trellis and then a partially painted trellis and then uh, like a separate blanket that's unmarked and then a new blanket that is marked. Mm. It's very possible. It's entirely possible. I wouldn't put it past them. So we cut back to Doc and Sprocket and the robot is bringing in the paper but it's razor sharp teeth are just serrating this paper like a, a child attempting to make a snowflake out of construction paper and Doc has this one line where he says look at that Sprocket isn't that cute and I guess it is cute in <laughs> like in the same way that a shark that had been endowed enough sentience to understand the concept of cruelty and now hunted predominantly for sport would be cute. <laughs> but beyond that, I don't really I don't see how that word applies. I mean, if if Doc isn't seeing this robot dog as terrifying, but seeing the robot dog as cute then I guess he could see the things that it does as cute. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, you, you let us know, listeners. Is the robot dog only terrifying, or is there a little bit of cuteness to it? What do you think? If you, if you can make a fan art of this robot dog that makes me change my <laughs> stance, I will name drop you. And express my gratitude and, like, full-on eat my words. <laughs> Anyways, so Boober's pulling away. Boober, like, throws on full-on, is like, no, he makes a little curtain, and he's just like, no, leave me alone. And they don't leave him alone. Mm-hmm. No, he's, he's pissed. Yeah. Rightfully. Yeah. I, I thought that we were going to get another episode about, like, hey, take your friend's concerns seriously, even when you don't think that it's a thing that they should be concerned about. Um, but we got a different lesson in this one. We do, which I appreciate. I like the I like the setup twist. Yeah. Um, but at one point, he, he literally just yells, you are being disrespectful to my blanket. And it's mm -hmm. like, yes, yes. Speak your peace, Boober. Red, can you take your friend's distress seriously? She, like, goes in to joke with him, and he shoves a pillow in her mouth, and I'm like, yes, good. Yes. <laughs> good. It is a great visual. He's also just ranting about, like, all of the things that all the other Fraggles care more about, in which he also, he mentions Gobo's postcards, and on cue, Gobo's like, oh, hey, I've got a postcard, let me share it. Yep. You know, it's like, Gobo, read the room, maybe this isn't the time to share what your uncle's been up to. Gobo, just take, Gobo, come on. He specifically does it with the preface. Let's all be friends, and I'll read you my postcard from Uncle Traveling Matt. Like, dude, if anything unites this group, it is not that. It's how much they... It does unite them in the sense of how much they all, except for maybe Wembley, most of them do not care about these postcards. Yeah. 
that's that's like like a white dude in the middle of a, a house meeting that turned into a house argument <laughs> just pulling out his guitar and being like hey guys was it a couple on. episodes of, like an episode or two back where i was like gobo has major guy with a guitar energy yep he really does and that hasn't stopped yeah i don't think it's gonna stop anytime soon i mean gobo literally is a guy with a guitar so he is well and i, I said it in the episode where he pull, was strumming on a guitar and not taking red i think it was the challenge like red yeah he wasn't taking her seriously but yeah it just i think it's an air that follows him a little bit too yeah so they decide they're gonna go to the hall of oh, justice real quick, uh, we should touch on the on the postcard itself oh yeah yeah we should uh, so in the postcard matt is watching a boomerang being thrown by a silly creature who's having a hard time getting rid of this magic stick. And Matt, of course, says, I am an expert in such matters and can get rid of any stick, even a magic one. Like, how do you become an expert in getting rid of magic sticks? I mean, I assume there's some kind of accreditation program. <laughs> I also just think Matt thinks he's an expert at everything, even if mm. it's something he's never done before. That's also his character of just maybe a little too much confidence. Yeah. Yep. And naturally, he throws the boomerang... And it thwacks him in the head, which, you know, Clunk. we could, I could see was coming from a mile away the second we saw the silly creature with the boomerang. Oh, yeah. I also think it's really funny that he's like, oh, he was having a hard time getting rid of it. And then the dude just like drops it on the ground and walks away. He doesn't even drop it. He like chucks it to the side as he's walking away as if like, I'm done. I'd never need this boomerang ever again. Do we have any Australian listeners? Are, are boomerangs just growing on trees that they're so easy to chuck away? Uh, the only thing I know about boomerangs is that the actual boomerangs that were used for hunting don't come back. Oh. Those are specifically designed to be, like, thrown as a thrown weapon, and they're designed to be aerodynamic and hit and impact as much damage as you can. I don't think they knew boomerangs. Did they start as weapons? I had no idea. Well, I don't know the origins. I just know that they are weapons, and then they made toys of the weapons ah. to, like, practice the throwing thing. And now yeah? the toys are what people think of when they think of boomerangs at least in my understanding fascinating in hindsight there's a solid chance that i picked up this piece of trivia from an animorphs book <laughs> so specifically animorphs. listeners take that with a grain of yes well there's the one where cassie goes to australia and acquires a kangaroo <laughs> she gets like stuck on a plane it's a whole thing i never read animorphs you should really read animorphs it's bananas it's my biggest blind spot as a kid, for whatever reason, I saw those book covers and I was like, not for me. I'm going to go read The Magic Treehouse instead. Fascinating. Oh, my God. So, look, I liked The Magic Treehouse. Animor, like, if you want to read a genuine book about children, like, fighting in the horrors of mm -hmm. war and understanding that, like, oh, there's no good guys and no one ever really, he like, I don't know how, how they got those books published, but they did and they're amazing. Disguised as fun shape-shifting animal adventures. That's how they did it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, fair. That's how they did it. I think at this point I'm waiting for them to make a really cool, well-done, hopefully, uh, adaptation of it. And that's probably how uh, I'll intake don't it. Don't watch the current TV show. It's not. Oh, right. is there an Animorphs TV show? It, it was like, it's a couple decades old okay. at this point. And I was going to say, current? Sure. Because <laughs> I... In middle school, I won a contest, got a, a third place prize of a VHS of the show. <laughs> That's how old that show is. <laughs> so listeners, a VHS is what they used to put shows on that they used to be streaming. Like instead of just sort of turning on your TV and the shows being there, you had to go get this weird plastic brick from a store from a college student who didn't like you, but also wanted you to like the things they liked. And they would give you this little plastic brick 
and you would put it into a larger sort of metallic brick, and that's how you would watch shows. That is accurate. That's a VHS. Um, where were we? Where were we? <laughs> um, I think um, we're at the Hall of Justice. Yes. Right, Hall of Justice. Thank you. So, I, I'll be real, I was kind of let down. Like, I get that that's the point, but I really wanted to see another, like, oh, this is like a fraggle tradition. This is like the society. This is mm-hmm. what's going on. And it's literally just Gobo trying to be serious and Red testing out her tight five. <laughs> yeah, she's cracking so many jokes while Booper's taking it so seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we start out with Gobo leading everybody in the oath which is a a song a song yeah it's a good one and most of it makes a lot of sense like i swear to be fair and like it's talking about you know like hey we're gonna go do this justice thing let's everybody put ourselves in a justice mindset but there's a couple of issues that i found with the lyrics so first of all like i swear to never do bad things or act selfishly like in theory cool great idea the problem is that everyone has a different idea of what that means oh no just i'm right and everyone else's ideas about it are wrong right exactly and on that note the line and treat everybody as if they were me like there was you know some discourse going around several years ago about the golden rule versus the platinum rule like treat everybody how you want to be treated versus treat everybody how they want to be treated Yep. And that's the problem in this courtroom is that everyone is doing what they want to do. Red is treating the Hall of Justice like a comedy club because that's what she wants to get out of it. Hmm. And Gobo and Boober are trying to take it seriously because Boober is, is trying to get justice and Gobo is trying to make the problem go away in his friend group. Yeah. Wembley's just trying to get some juice. Yeah. Wembley just wants some juice, and to be fair, so does Red, eventually, but they just, they, ne- they never get the juice. No, they do, they do get the juice, because they knock the juice over. Well, they don't get the juice, the blanket gets the juice. <laughs> oh, I see. That's true. The blanket drinks up all the juice, which and makes the problem even worse. It's allegedly blueberry juice, but it's like blue, blue. That is, that mm-hmm. is not the color of blueberries that us silly creatures have access to. It was like a blue purple, wasn't it? Uh, it? It's a much bluer blue like than a, like a like, blue. If we get blueberry juice, it's distinctly purple with like reddish undertones. Fair. Yeah, isn't it? It's pretty like a deep blue, but maybe that's blueberries for fraggles. Maybe their berries are a little different. I was gonna say maybe they have a different strain. Mm-hmm. Did anyone else notice? So the, all of the the background fraggles are there to be <laughs> Red's audience essentially, and they're sitting on these, you know piles of books but they're huge books oh yeah they're very big like books as big as floor cushions and i was like well now i want to own floor cushions shaped like giant books oh i just assumed that those were books that they'd gotten from the human world oh there you go which explains the size differential Mm-hmm. or the gorgs would the gorgs have books <laughs> that's a really good question well hold on Fraggles are supposed to be knee-high to a human, and humans are supposed to be knee-high to a gorg, right? Yep. Cool. A gorg book would kill a man. (laughs) You could get, like, a bed shaped like a gorg book. Depending on the size of the book relative to the gorg, it could either be, like, a small-to-them book, which is, I would say, about this size, or if they had, like, a dictionary, that would do some serious damage. Mm -hmm. I like that we, we see, again, the solemn mark of the fraggle. 
uh, is carved into the wall. Oh, I missed that. Mm-hmm. I missed that too. Um, so nobody takes this seriously except for Gobo and Boober. And Boober's trying to write a speech and blueberry juice gets spilled on his blanket like you knew it was going to be as soon as they introduced blueberry juice. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Wembley tries to clean it off with Boober's speech and Boober just bails. Boober's just done. He just leaves. And honestly, good for you, dude. Your friends are treating you very poorly. Go. Yep. Yeah, he's planning to leave and never see his friends again. He's super serious about it in the moment. Yeah. Um, and Wembley goes after him. Yeah. Which is sweet. Uh, Red and Moki, meanwhile, go to the trash heap for help. They take the damaged blanket with them. Mm-hmm. But Marjorie and Philo and Gunge are too busy doing the crossword puzzle. And they barely notice that... Uh, actually, I don't know if they notice at all that Moki and Red are there. They acknowledge kind of in the end just in that she gives them instructions on how to clean a blanket. Right. Although she doesn't, I don't know if she really like looks up the crossword, but she does make that connection with them. Yeah. But she does, they, they're going on about like her uncle. Yeah. His name. Maximilian. Maximilian and how there's a silent cue in it because it's like one of the answers in the crossword and they're bickering about whether or not it fits there. Yeah, they don't give them a lot of attention. She does give them the magic words. The queue is silent. Mm-hmm. Where they they think that that's, yeah, the, the words to use. But then, yeah, I guess she just overhears them say that they need to clean the blanket, and she gives them very thorough instructions on how to, to get a stain out of a blanket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not thorough enough, because they use hot water, but... Yep. True. But as they point out later, like, Boober is the only one in their community who does all of the laundry, and so he's the only one who has all of this knowledge stored up. Yep. Which... We'll get to that, but there's a sweet moment with that. Uh, so Boober's trying to leave, and Wemily's trying to get him back, and Boober's pissed, and he's just wrecking Doozer Towers left and right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Wembley tries to stop him, and he shoves Wembley away into a Doozer Tower, and there's a very genuine moment of tone shift where you're like, wow, he's angry. Oh, is Wembley okay? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And, and Boober shifts that quickly as well. Mm-hmm. He goes from saying... You know, I don't care. I don't care. Hey, episode title <laughs> over and over to immediately. Oh, my gosh. Wembley's injured. It's not true. I do care. What have I done? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and he runs back carrying Wembley. And I know it's supposed to be a really genuine moment, but he turns around and we see Wembley's eyes are crossed and his tongue is stuck out. And I laughed so hard. <laughs> I know. Yep. It's so cute. I just I wrote Wembley looks dead. <laughs> I know, and I like, you know, you know that he's not. Right. But it's, it is very silly and very, feels a little over the top in that instance. But, you know, they got to get the point across. Yeah. So Red and Moki and Gobo are now, you know, they're, they're trying to get the stain out of the blanket, but they washed it with hot water. And da-da-da-da, it is now the size of a little handkerchief. Mm-hmm. It's a little rag. Uh, and so he sets... Wembley down and it's like uh, and Gobo's like I'll go get a moss pack which we saw these mm-hmm. when we watched the We Love You Wembley episode. Continuity! We did, yeah. And there's this really beautiful moment where Red is like oh my god this is all my fault and Boober's like no 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 this is my fault and then Wembley wakes up and he's like no 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 it's my fault. Well so there's this great back and forth before Wembley wakes up fully where he's just kind of murmuring like half consciously. Half consciously just repeating what people are saying because even in his sleep he wembles. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then 
well, there's that really sweet moment. Like they're they're so good at that little pivot, mm-hmm. that like just really slick tone shift switch. Because in the middle of the argument, she's like, "Well, I'm so sorry about the blanket," and he goes, "I don't care about the blanket. I care about Wembley." Yeah. And it like they could have overhyped that and made it saccharine and cloying. Mm-hmm. They could have had to be like, "I don't care about the blanket." Ooh, ooh. I care about Wembley. <laughs> and they didn't. And they just let us have it in real time. Not a lot of score active. They just let us see the moment. Yeah. And that's a really respectful way to handle that. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate it. Appreciate it a lot. I will say there was one moment that made me kind of giggle where uh, Wembley says, you know, I'm fine, Boober. Thanks to the wet blanket. Mm. Because Boober is the wet blanket. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, then Boober gets to, you know, show his friends how to do laundry right. And he's so excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I have in my notes, yes, please engage in repair by letting your friend info dump about their special interest. Yes, exactly. And also, like, that's legit knowledge that I would like to have. I would love to take a laundry class from Boober. I would 100% take a laundry class from Boober. It would probably be good, based off of this episode, for them to have at least one other Fraggle who knows how to competently do laundry besides Boober. Because, yeah, if he, if he did, like, leave and never come back, what would they do? They'd all have dirty laundry. Stink. They'd stink, yeah. Maybe the main characters would have to give up wearing clothes altogether and be like the naked background Fraggles. That's fair, yeah. Naked Background Fraggles is the name of my specifically like hard rock Muppet queer cover band. Can I join? Do you need... I don't play an instrument, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, if it ever exists, I'll make sure to call you. Excellent. Um, do we want to talk about this last little bit with Doc? Because, oh my god... Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, so, yeah, Doc fixes the robot so it doesn't mangle his newspaper. It goes and gets the newspaper for him, and he's super stoked because it's in one piece until he realizes that the robot somehow, in those, like, three seconds it went to get the paper, did the crossword puzzle in ink. Mm -hmm. And for Doc, that's the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. And instead of, I don't know, putting it in a closet or being like, oh, I'll take the parts, you know, apart later and repurpose them. He sends it out into the world and throws the remote and closes the door as if just being like, I'm going to, the world can take care of this problem now, this terrifying robot. I'm just not going to think about it anymore. He pulls a full Frankenstein. (laughs) So some neighbor is just going to stumble across this robot dog and the remote and just have now a sentient robot dog that can solve a crossword puzzle. Or the robot's going to take its own remote and take over the world? Yeah, no, he's just unleashed this horror on an unsuspecting public. Now, there's a fan fiction I need to see. Rocket Sprocket goes off on his own adventures. Mm -hmm. Rocket Sprocket goes on off his own adventures, goes on so much of a spree that he has to be stopped by Rick and Morty. (laughs) Doc's neighbors must be used to this at this point, though, right? Can anyone be used to that? (laughs) Not this robot in specific. I'm sure there are still moments where they're shocked and horrified by the things they find, but Doc must just, like, I don't know, get frustrated with inventions all the time and just 
chuck them out onto the street and then they're just out for a walk and they're like oh there's another one of doc's inventions let's avoid it at all costs oh there's a chandelier with a burglar alarm oh there's a bunch of nails that looks like they're covered in wood oh there's the most horrifying mechanical creation known to man that is staring at me as though i am nutrition it will gladly crunch between its teeth and that my pain will enrich the joy of its meal i one of these things is not like the others julia just just the act of him doing this not necessarily the robot itself Fair. okay okay so so far we know we we've heard from Doc's neighbors vicariously through him about the playing music for the uh, plants in the garden. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, made a petition against it because that was so intrusive. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ned Shimmelfinney was complaining about the bathtub full of violas or something like that. It's like sitting out on the front lawn. And so I think his neighbors are pretty used to Doc shenanigans in general. Up until the point where it starts affecting them. And this dog is definitely going to affect them. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. If if not, like, violently, then at the very least, just, like, visually, like, their nightmares are going to happen more often on this street. He's going to get another petition that the whole neighborhood signed. I'm sure he's had a number of <laughs> petitions signed against him. I would not be surprised. He just has a collection of them. At all. Um, You want to hear about the international versions? Yes, please, yes. good God. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right, in the French version, the latest treasure from Uncle Georges is a device which is supposed to detect deliveries and release an alarm when it does so. Okay. Doc wants to use it to get the mail, which makes Croquette jealous. The machine only succeeds in attracting such items as balls, shoes, and a broom, and Croquette has to bark when the postman does arrive. Meanwhile, Uncle Traveling Matt observes a group of men patiently fishing for shoes. And in the UK version, the captain is complaining to Commander Ponsombi on the phone that he does not like the new electronic device the commander has placed in the lighthouse. But when he and Sprocket realize the machine will take over a lot of their tasks so they can sleep late, he decides to plug it in after all. Later, the machine prints out all sorts of information on paper, but the captain doesn't understand any of it. In the end, Sprocket is buried under a pile of printed paper. He and the captain agree that machines are more trouble than they're worth. <laughs> What? So none of these versions have this terrifying robot monstrosity? Apparently not. They have different electronic annoyances, but we'd have to see them in person to know if they were monstrous. Welp. That tracks. <laughs> any other, any other, anything people want to say about this particular episode? Um, yeah, just like we were saying earlier, I like that we've now gotten two different versions of hey, Boober cares about something that everyone else thinks is trivial and it gets damaged. And in the previous one, you know, the lesson was like, hey, take your friend's concern seriously. And in this one, the lesson is, hey, sometimes the things that you yourself are caring about are not that important. Yeah, not as important as making sure people are safe. Yeah. Yeah, because he does, he gets the blanket and, you know, 10 minutes later is when it gets wrecked and he acts like it's the worst thing that anyone's ever done to him. Yeah. But he's had it for, you know, a handful of minutes and he put so much worth into this material item that he stops caring about the people around him. So it is, yeah, I, I do appreciate the show just taking a concept that we've seen before and then just, you know, not even flipping it on its head necessarily, but just 
changing it a little bit and giving us a different perspective. So yeah, props to the people making this show. It's also a really nice way to explore that like, yeah, you can have genuine arguments with your friends Mm -hmm. and be frustrated and not like that person and still care about them. Yep. Also, everyone can be a little bit wrong in a situation, you know. Yeah. Even even though Boober did put too much stock into this, you know, Red is still like cracking jokes in a time where Boober is like, hey, this is a thing that means a lot to me. Moki takes the blanket when she's not listening to Boober and all of like these little things that just add up. And, you know, everyone can like contribute somewhat equally to to an issue. And, you know, it's very organically messy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which relationships are. That they are. Do we want to talk about how we can make the world a little fragglier? Hmm. If you have a dog that actually knows how to get the newspaper and enjoys getting the newspaper for you, don't make a monster creation. <laughs> it's a nice first step to try and treat everybody as if they were me. But it's a much bigger and harder and more important step to treat everybody the way they want to be treated if someone has something that has emotional significance to them and it's made of cloth be extra careful if you have juice or paint around it (laughs) i feel like this is common sense but yeah come on also if you don't want your monster anymore just let it out into the world (laughs) that's fine it'll be fine nothing's gonna go wrong there oh that's making the world a little docklier oh i don't know if we want that oh that was a bad ear feel. <laughs> it felt bad to yeah. say. Ugh. All right. Listeners, remember to check out toughpigs.com. Give us a good review on your podcaster of choice. And if you want to find us on social media, I am at Beth Anna Cook. You can find me at geekgirlgrownup or juliagaskill.com. Or if you live in Portland, I host a lot of poetry events. Hey. Come, come out to one of them. Yes. I don't really want to be perceived right now. Don't perceive me. Go look at something nice. You're something nice. I know, but look at something nice that's not me. Ugh, fine. Okay. (laughs) Pick up on my subconscious self-deprecations and correct me like the loving, supportive friend you are. God. That's right. Get affirmed. Ah. mm. (laughs) Don't forget to dance your cares away. Dan Fraggle Talk? (laughs) I guess. Excellent. Fraggle Talk Classic is brought to you by ToughPigs.com. Fraggle Talk Art by Dave Holtine Jr. The Fraggle Rock mark and logo, characters, and elements are trademarks of the Jim Henson Company. All rights reserved. The Fraggle Rock theme song, written by Philip Balsam and Dennis Lee, is used with permission. Special thanks to the Jim Henson Company and the entire Fraggle Rock family. For more from Tough Pigs, please find us at Tough Pigs on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, TeePublic, and Patreon. Fraggle Talk Classic is produced and edited by me, Beth Cook. Thank you to Joe Hennis, the Tough Pigs Muppet Fan Podcast Executive Producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Down at Fraggle Talk. Or if they had like a big old dictionary, that would do some serious <laughs> damage. Just a big yeah. old dictionary? <laughs> uh, great, now I have to cut that because you giggled at it. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> Just cut me reiterating it and leave the giggle. <laughs>